0: In this series, um, on which I've already had very good feedback, if I say so myself, <laughs> um, and all down to the fantastic speakers that we've had so far and that we've still got lined up for the rest of the series, um, the series is trying to take a really broad perspective on on understanding impact and knowledge exchange. Um, we're trying to look across the across sectors and the different types of stakeholders. So we we'll have after we have academic voices, voices from HEFCE, from other funding bodies. Uh, voices from users and, and, and the wider public. Um, we're also trying to take a cross-disciplinary view so that can draw not only on expertise and, and, and thinking around the impact in one set of disciplines in the social sciences, but also to bring insights from a range of other disciplines, from the humanities, from the sciences and medical research. We're also trying to take a, a, a cross-national perspective. So we will have, um, and we have had already, a number of um, uh, perspectives which are very much geared to, to the context of the UK. Yeah, but we're also um, drawing in um, that's perspectives that's from other no countries. countries, including um, uh, next week's speaker, um, who's going um, um, you know, to we'll be talking um, about the UK, but with an international perspective on. And also, in the, in the last week um, of the series, we'll have a perspective from um, Australia. We're also trying to be quite um, all-encompassing in terms of ways of looking at impact, of me- of capturing impact, um, and impact techniques and metrics. So we're looking all the way from metrics, we had somebody talking about the metrics review in week one, um, um, through um, a range of other methodologies and all the way to a very open narrative council of um, I hope that this will be yet another opportunity for critical engagement with issues around impact. And knowing our speaker for today, uh, I'm pretty certain that this will be so. I'm really delighted to welcome you back to Oxford, Eleanor. Uh, professor Eleanora Bernfiore is an um, associate professor in cultural policy at the University of Warwick, where she also um, leads or has led the um, Commission, the Way Commission on Cultural Value. Um, and has, um, um, and she's also been involved in a metrics review, a healthy metrics um, review, um, where I trust um, you're expressing a strong humanities voice, she says. Um, uh, Professor Belfiore has written um, um, extensively uh, on topics around impact, around value, cultural value, social value. Um, of, of research, and um, two of her, her books are always on the shelf nearest to my desk, and that's The Social Impact of the Arts and um, Humanities in the 21st Century. Uh, but please do explore more of her work. Um, so I look
1: forward to your talk, Anna. Thank you very much. Slightly nice pressurizing introduction, thank you very much, Alice. Um, so, um, I think the title of my presentation to you today reveals that um, what I've prepared for you today is very much a personal reflection of my experience of um, being um, either a publicly engaged academic, which is my preferred term, um, <coughs> or um, a champion an, an impact champion, which is what my university calls me. Um, so I think I'd start with a little bit of an introduction, uh, building on what Alice has just said about me. Um, um, Also because I have been in the field long enough to know that usually when I tell people that my area of work is cultural policy studies, usually people go uh, look at me slightly blankly. So I wanted to avoid you having to sit and look at me blankly. 40 minutes and I'm going to explain at the outset what it is this that I do. I'm interested in the politics of cultural policy making, which in other terms are, means um, I research. Um, I, I'm interested in the reasons why governments. um use public money to pay for the arts and culture, to fund theatres and museums, and so on and so forth. And as a linguist by training, I'm interested in the discursive formations around um, cultural policy, and particularly I'm interested in discourses of justification um, for um, arts funding. Um, And so I have spent many years um, looking um, critically at the notion of social impact of uh, the arts and the idea that the arts can have transformative powers on individuals and society as as a key rationale for um, justifications of um, arts funding in this country. And so, Critics of the way in which impact becomes a proxy for value in policy discourse um, when it comes to the arts is something that I've looked at historically um, and in the present time. Um, and therefore, when the impact agenda uh, came to the fore in higher education policy discourses, I couldn't but feel that I had heard all of this stuff before and I was somewhat troubled by the way in which history, and I'm not very successful in history, seemed to be repeating itself. Um, But then, um, part of what I've been doing the past few years is also reflect on what I call here, slightly ironically, my personal impact moral dilemma. Um, And um, the slightly ironic, if not awkward, situation whereby my years of very critical writing, the, bunk- the bunking, the rhetorical impact then became a rough impact case study and I had to kind of <laughs> make sense of that and then you know, reassure myself. That this was okay, really. Um, so, well, ha- it's not been completely successful. And you know, I see um, a particular member of uh, the audience laughing, as she was the um, she was previously um, impact officer at Warwick. So we kind of concocted that story. Sorry, together. that's my fault. You're. <laughs> so you yes, go. she. It's her fault. But I'm trying to make <laughs> sense of this without blaming her. To tell um, I'm. directly. am i I think I'll start with a little bit of context about my own disciplinary background, just because it's relevant to the discussion on hand. I won't give you a cultural policy studies 101 uh, lecture, I promise you just enough to understand why the whole point of um, impact and engaging with um, with, policy makers has always been quite a delicate um, area of thinking and reflection for me. Um, Cultural policy research is a very interdisciplinary area of um, scholarship, There's, you know, it's becoming, it's growing. It's got its own journals now. It's got its own international um, conferences, and um, in its own mythological um, uh, story itself, uh, or self-narrative, um, cultural policy studies is an offshoot of cultural studies in uh, australia where a group of scholars started to think about um, the ways in which culture might be useful might make itself useful and the extent to which academics might want to get involved not just in the critical study of culture but also in advising governments in the administration of culture um, so people like tony bennett um uh tony bennett wrote um, a paper in 1992 which useful culture which started at the date um, then the field expands in the UK where however there has been a slightly different take on the relationship between research around culture and the politics of culture and cultural policies and the ideal distance of the researcher from academia where um, cultural um, scholar Jim um, um has constructed this idea of the critical researcher, who should be, as a critical distance from policy, um, we, you know, uncorrupted by uh, the needs of advocacy and campaigning, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, should serve the goal of critique. And pretty much, as a PhD student, you can't choose your camp and stick with it. Um, and having been, having done my PhD in the UK, I guess I was sort of, belong, you know, I felt I belonged to the Critical, you know, primacy of critique camp. But I always felt frustrated by what felt like a um, very sterile dichotomy and also uh, something that um, I think um, didn't do quite full for, for justice to the potential of research and the duties of research. So I guess from my days as a lowly PhD scholar, I've been trying to figure out, negotiate this. Uh, This this dichotomy and trying to find an alternative for myself that I felt comfortable with, which is um, what I'm talking about to you today. Now, because of that slight, you know, that that kind of sense that there's two camps and you need to um, be clear as to where you are because, uh, because, you know, it's not purely at the an orientation decision, whether you want to be consumptive or not, but you know, just some kind of implication of whether you are a proper academic. And there's a lot of anxiety in our field, perhaps more than in other in other um, fields. You know, about keeping us at a safe distance from sector, um, keeping a, a safe distance from um, the instrumentalisation of one's research. Um, and to a degree, um, what this quote says here is true um, in the sense that the sector, the, the arts and culture sector have looked at research traditionally um, as uh, with a hope that research could provide arguments, data, statistics that could help them make their case. Um, but my contention is that this is still a very simplistic understanding of the um, relationship between research and the world, and I think it's also somewhat disingenuous. Um, the whole idea of research as speaking truth to power is I think very dubious. First of all, because I think by now we should have worked out that there isn't um, any single truth that we can speak to anyone. Um, but also, um, the thing that has always made me uncomfortable about the primus of critique rhetoric is the, that kind of sense it seems to assume that academics have somehow outside in uh, or looking to the world from some kind of privileged position, whereby they're not uh, they're not um, uh, implicated in relationships of power um, of influence, and they're somehow it's neutral bystander that's sort of uh, projecting some kind of critical light into things, which I think is you know, very disingenuous, um, and I think that. One of my rights with the um, impact agenda is that to some degree some of the rhetoric around the impact agenda seems to reinforce this idea of the uh, research as the external agent looking to the world. I mean this idea of the impact of research as if research was this thing that you just whack on people's heads you know uh, know, people you know as if you are some other from from the society that you want to impact the people you want to impact I think is not helpful um, and it's just not, you know, It's just a myth, I think. Um, and then, and I speak here as a humanities scholar, there's also, I think, um, in the um, uh, resistance and the feeling uncomfortable with the impact agenda, there's also, I would argue, a confidence issue. Um, I don't know how many. Of you here today identify as a humanities scholar or whether you're mostly social scientists but if you are a humanities scholar pretty much from your undergraduate years you have really have become accustomed to justify your choice of studies and um, to people who just can't quite understand why would you spend and why would you waste time and money studying <laughs> what are you doing? why on earth um, and um, I think to me, this quote by um, James Dyson—he helped the Hoover, uh, Stacey Tall—and um, you know, you can imagine if you are a French poetry teacher, why, you know, how can you expect to impact the world, engage when the world kind of thing that you're pointless? And there's no point. Uh, I mean, I could have brought you... I've got a little folder of some really, really horrible quotes about <laughs> humanism, and, and in my speech, let you know, I don't um, I pick my favourite. I could have given you, you know, uh, uh, ministers, on the the pointlessness of arts degrees. There's a whole collection, but I like this one. Well, no, I, I like this one. I think this is a good one to use, because it's very uh, hard to dismiss this guy as a philistine, because this guy spent four years in art school. So, you know, he's not some kind of engineer or scientist doesn't get it. You know, he's an arts person. He's a designer. So, what's the point? Let's just all retreat in our ivory tower, you know, with our peers, who will understand and appreciate what we do. I mean, I can, I can see that this would be um, a temptation. Or, alternative strategies. If you can't beat them, if you can't convince them that you are worthy, join them or speak like them. So this is another of my favorite quotes from um, a recent, actually not so recent report, but I am taught enough, you know, I've seen a tender, the AHRC is in the process of commissioning a new version of this study. So if you wait patiently enough, I think we'll get some more recent numbers and I'll bet you they will be bigger. <laughs> be bigger. Um, at the moment we are in you know if you for every pound spent on the arts and humanities research you get 10, pa- 10 pounds back in immediate benefit you can get 15 20 of long-term benefit and then ask me what's the difference between immediate benefit long-term benefit I have no idea the report doesn't say doesn't matter the key message is one pound you put in ten pounds you get back or possibly a billion who could argue with that <laughs> Not even James Dyson, I think. <laughs> of course, you're all giggling, and I was at, a, at an event a few years ago where poor, um, poor Mark Llewellyn was presenting this data very cheap, um, So um, I think that we all know this is probably not very sound uh, calculation. There's no, you know, uh, no indication in the report of how these numbers have been gotten up. But the hope is that Mr Treasury will be impressed. Of course if you were that simple we wouldn't be where we are today but you know that's a different that's probably a different uh, presentation however i think actually impact despite all the reservations that i do have um for the language um this concept that's been formulated and implemented in higher education policy in this country i think actually impact and um, hits at the heart of some very fundamental questions for academics and for um, and universities because it, it, it implies some questions about what, how do we understand, describe, articulate the value of what we do beyond ourselves and our peers. Um, it's about the kind of role that we envisage universities having in the 21st century. What does it mean to be a family institution in, in, in the cultures in which we live today? But also for me as a researcher is also asking what comes after critique and is really the sole purpose of our work to critique or is there something that we should do that should come afterwards? And of course I think the fact that I'm here today kind of gives away the fact that my argument would be that of course there has to be something after critique. Um, and then from my own personal point of view, what is then the ideal relationship between um, scholarly work? and the world of creative practice and uh, policy practice um, and what kind of relationship uh, would be um, beneficial both to the world of practice but also to the world of research. (laughs) On a more personal take, um, writing about these things has also meant for me to ask myself uh, very um, personal questions: as to what kind of researcher I am, uh, what kind of researcher I feel I ought to be. Um, and then how would I articulate the broader value of what I do? Um, and which is complex because my field is very small, um, it's not you know well acknowledged in the institutional world, and then I have the chief of being a proud humanities scholar who has the arrogance of claiming that her work that is largely historical uh, textual analysis has policy relevance. So uh, you know, how do I explain the life of that to myself and to others? Um, and then, yes, having to then work out my own personal sort of complexity and, uh, and the slight sense of um, awkwardness of being aware that there's an apparent, at least, um, tension between... Um, the values that animate my work, and then the kind of pressures and expectations of my institutions um, to uh, tick off those boxes around impact and ref impact and all the rest of it. And in trying to make sense of, um, trying to make sense of what then should come after critique if you feel that that's what should happen, um, I found um, an article by Ian Ang um, from 2011 uh, where she expands the concept of cultural intelligence. Quite intriguing. I'm not completely convinced with the solution that she offers, but I'm quite intrigued by how she articulates the, pro- the problem. Um, so she <coughs> argues that um, as academics we revel in complexity. We love complexity, all we do is all about complexifying, about problematizing issues. So. We, you know, we're completely uncomfortable we're talking about identity. We'd rather talk about identities, and you know, we were about unpacking and picking, you know, fleshing out. Uh, uh, and she says this is all very well, but in the world in which we live, where we face very complex challenges, that's not very helpful in terms of improving things. And she suggests that cultural intelligence is this quality of recognizing that the world is complicated. That um, there's no um, straightforward one size fits all for complex problems, but the, as scholars we still have the, uh, the uh, duty to try and simplify our analysis so that they can be the springboard for actual change. And she argues that we should aim for a simplicity that rejects simplification or oversimplification, which sounds fine but I'm not quite sure exactly how you manage that um, so I guess in, in the past few years that have been me trying to work out how do you actually do this because I think few people would <coughs> argue the concept but I think the, 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 the delicate point here is in the um, implementation <laughs> and so perhaps the solution is actually getting out of the library getting out of the ivory tower get into the world and get your hands 30. And so, the rest of my presentation to you today will um, focus on this high profile public engagement work that I've been doing for the past couple of years, which is now concluded, although we're planning legacy work. So, it's a kind of project that never quite ends, um, which has been, hence the title of my presentation today, I think the most stressful project I've, I've ever worked on. Uh, never was I expecting to have quite so many sleepless nights from uh, a project, it's not even a research project, it's a public engagement project, so you think, you know, you ought to be, um, uh, you know, two years of um, jollies and coffees and dinners in London, it was actually a bit of a nightmare, um, but we still got to tell the tale. Um, one little um, note here, when I was first When it was first put to me the possibility of um, being involved in this project as the academic lead for the Faculty of Arts alongside a social science um, colleague, Um, I went on the university website because I hadn't really heard about the commissions, I didn't quite know what what they were. Um, And at the time, the uh, webpage of the Warwick Commission explained these as a uh, a series of public engagement projects are university funded. They're funded by the comms department, which tells you already <coughs> how the university sees these things, um, which um, were meant to show um, how um, social science research carried out Warwick um, was helping tackle um, difficult policy issues. So already that offended me a bit, So I thought, what do you mean? The university invests all this money on showing that social science can, you know, the implication As a humanist, the commissions were not for me. Kind of, you know, annoyed me. And I thought, well, let's let's uh, let's see if we can do something about that. So I'm proud to say that that is no longer um, uh, on our website. Um, But the idea um, is that um, the commissions are based on an area of expertise at Warwick, um, and they tend to. use that basis of scholarship to develop fresh policy thinking and actually um, have a policy impact. Um, And this was the first one in which the Faculty of Arts was involved. So the previous ones were, was one on um, international financial markets, one on elected mayors, um, and another one, I can't remember what was about. um, uh, They were all based in either the economics department or or the politics department so we went to the university with a proposal and um, that the next commission uh, should be about cultural value and the way that we um, justified um, spending three hundred and eighty grand on um, something like this was that we felt that there was um, a real uh, policy moment there was a lot of anxiety in the arts and cultural sector um, uh, around how to articulate measure, value and how to put together a case for funding to government in the face of austerity, in the face of a fairly unsympathetic government. Um, and this was also an area where Warwick had, um, uh has dedicated departments and an area of um, recognised strength. So we felt that we could um, build on that to uh, develop a collaborative effort with the sector in trying to think well on the basis of our scholarship and on the basis of your you know practical knowledge what should we do next and um, and there were also on the laps between uh, the arts creative industries and other key um, policy agendas that were becoming quite uh, prominent in debate so education skills soft power um, uh, tourism, um, culture led economic growth, and the creative economy, and all that kind of stuff. So, we partnered with British Council, the Royal Society for the Arts, um, the Design Council, and Chapman Festival. Um, and we just wanted to have um, to stimulate public debate and stimulate policy change. These are our commissions, I won't name them all because also, when I, whenever I try and do this, inevitably my mind goes blank and I forget all their names and who they are but I think it's fair to say that we've got here the great and the good um, of the um, art sector, which was in itself a little bit problematic because we wanted it to be um, sort of a national exercise and we had to recognize that the regions were not very well represented among our commissioners, although that is a feature of the cultural world and, and cultural policy in this country. So we have, just to name a few, uh, we had Nick Sirota, um from Tate, uh, we had David Land from The Old Vic, um, we had Tony Ague, who's the um, um, head of digital um, uh, the Archives of BBC, um, and various other um, very notable um, personalities. Um, and this was a very much a collaborative effort, um, so negotiating the relationships, um, developing trust, between us and the commissioners and the people we were dealing with um, was very important. Um, But we were quite clear that we wanted to um, challenge the idea that there's a linear relationship between research uh, and policy development Um, in the sense that we were quite clear and I guess honest with our commissioners that we weren't just, you know, but we had um, sort of an intellectual agenda in our involvement in this um, project, which was based on our knowledge of what the literature and the evidence shows, but I suppose it's also um, dependent on our values. We have a sense of what the problem was uh, with current cultural policy. We have a sense that we wanted the report to be um, helpful and constructive, but not necessarily um, something, no, not advocacy, we wanted to, uh, be clear that we would expect our commissioners and the sector to um, to receive a bit of tough love and that we would, you know, um, not just um, uh, package a nice case for them to put to funders, but that we would ask awkward questions of them as much as anyone else. Um, but at the same time, we wanted to push the debate beyond the obsession with funding and the equivalence of talking about cultural value with making the case of funding, because it's a lot more than that of course and we wanted to um, to find a way to inject findings from research in debates um, that often happen completely separately from um, the sphere of academic research even when the academic research is precisely about those debates which I think is paradoxical um, and we brought together a different range of expertise where academic expertise and professional expertise where you know, treated as equal and I think that's why ultimately this kind of project can only only ever be a collective effort um, you know we weren't directing um, works we were sort of coordinating curating but we were very much working with our commissioners and with the people that we, we dealt with in the sector now what we wanted to do was um, push the debate beyond advocacy and create some longer-term thinking that was richer more nuance than just please give us more money or please don't cut uh, money too much. Uh, We wanted to also take this debate out of either the academy or the policy makers offices and turn it into a public conversation with um, the public about why is culture valuable to their everyday life. and I think the, the goal certainly for me was getting that, that research, getting that critique out into the real world because that's where it's most needed rather than being trapped, remain trapped in the uh, peer-review pages of a journal uh, that is inaccessible to most of the public. Um, and then consolidate our approach to uh, researching these things, um, developing st- strengthening partnerships and collaborations, Um, that could be a strategic value. So this is kind of the institutional um, side of of why it's doing this work. So I'll give you the last, oops, the last um, celebratory slide and then we'll we'll, um, go into um, into the more juicy bits I think. Um, I think some things we achieved I think I am personally very uh, proud as somebody whose work has been recently about trying to develop a social justice research agenda in um, cultural policy studies that we have been able to highlight unequal equal access to cultural participation as uh, one of the key themes. I think it's important to have somebody like Sarota signing up to a report that shows um, data that was um, coming from a research that was publicly commissioned but never published, that shows that free entry to museums, uh, which is a very expensive um, flagship uh, policy, culture policy in this country, has been socially regressive. Um, I think- important having the chief executive um, of the Arts Council signing up to a document that acknowledges that the benefits of the Fund of Arts are still incredibly socially stratified so it's just the wealthiest, whitest and less educated um, portion of the British population that benefit the most from um, arts and culture paid for by general taxation. I think there's um, some merit in Highlighting the um, attack that um, arts education in schools has been under in the past few years. Will it change the world? I don't know. And you know, it, it depends on what people do with that. But I think that that was important and that would not have happened if academics hadn't been involved in such an exercise. Um, so we, um, some of the data, especially around participation, was data that was being produced um, by AHRC Connected Communities Project, and it wasn't, wasn't even published yet, but I was, I'm, in the, I'm in the project team for uh, that project, so I, it's not work I've done, but I knew about it, and so we were able to put it in front of the commission before it even came out in a journal. And so we knew where the interesting, important work was being carried out, and we were able to put those researchers in front of our commissioners, um, I think then, of course, um, from the point of view of the institution, there was a series of outcomes that were, um, if I say so myself, ref impact gold So we were um, covered um, by the media nationally, internationally, and um, the, um, not that much came to it and did him any good, but um, um, Ed Miliband's based is one and only arts speech um, on the commission embraced quite a few of our recommendations and turned them into pledges um, for his um, manifesto. But we actually have had some indications that even the current government might take up some of our recommendations, such such as, for instance, we suggested that um, no school should be rated as excellent by Ofsted unless you had a really robust um, um, arts provision. So that might Um, um, policy so you know there was there was some achievement so um, university is very pleased um, because we're going to get lots of of lovely impact studies that will uh, potentially score very highly Um, but um, and then there's some things some more general um, things that I feel um, I've learned from such a grueling um, project I think that which goes back to my way of um, trying to find an alternative to that kind of, you know, are you a useful researcher, are you a critical researcher? I think relevance is perhaps a more useful notion than usefulness in this context, in the sense that it's important to me as a researcher that when I talk to artists, to creative professionals, to creative administrators and policy makers, what I tell them about their world resonates with them, that they recognise the the picture I'm painting. Whether that picture, that work helps them getting more money is really none of my concern. Um, and I'm quite open, you know. When I collaborate, people say, you "No, know, I'm not here to um, help you and get money from the arts council." But if you were to find out more about, you know, how do you evaluate your impact properly, we can have a conversation. Um, and I think it's important to respect professional expertise and creative practice. Um, and sometimes I do worry that with the emphasis on co-production, that some of the research funders are, um, are are putting on there in, in the when they develop their schemes. there's there's not always a sense in which these are all skills and and, um, uh, and expertise that are equally valued Um, and so for me impact is all it has to be about collaboration and partnership and working with the sector rather than on the sector or for the sector which are I think um, uh, more limited ways of, um, of working and what we hope to achieve was um, a culture of knowledge-based practice within the cultural sector. I'm very wary. Um, actually, I, I, I'm very critical on the notion of evidence-based policy because it's, it's problematic. But you know, the sense, sense that knowledge infuses um, the debates that happen in the world of practice, I think, is very important. Um, so, in this respect, you know, I've given you the spiel that I give um, when I do all these kind of things in <coughs> the university, but here. We are at the what was I thinking bit because even though it was very successful, it was very stressful um, and it was very um, different from um, doing research. And there are bits of uh, and inevitably, when you are engaged in a project such as this, the final report looks very, very different from the kind of stuff that you write in your research, even if it's about the same things. Um, and that was difficult to negotiate. So it was difficult to negotiate the angry emails that I got when the report came out. It said, oh, I can't believe somebody like you, who's done so much critical work, could write. Uh, and there was a report that was called "Enriching Britain, which is all about the economy. So, well, you know, it's, it's not all about the economy. You know, there's, you know, I would highlight all this sort of social justice points there. And then I would have to explain, of course, it doesn't sound like one of my articles, because it's not one of my articles, because if you look at the people who were involved in writing this, there's about 20 of us. Um, and that was difficult. Um, and there were some moments when I would just say, I think, no. <laughs> you know, absolutely clearly, you could be in the library, but, you know, just now in the peace of the library, why, you know? Yeah. What was I thinking when I agreed to do this? But then, as these lovely photos that that somebody tweeted, um, as I was writing down some notes for this, I all very apt. I still think it was worth it. I'm not going to do it again anytime soon because I think I need another two years to recover from this. But I'm I'm glad I did it, um, and this is why I am still doing it. Um, i think ultimately the reason why those of us who see themselves as publicly engaged who do impact work which is time time consuming time consuming resource intensive uh, which still carries very little formal recognition by universities i mean something like that did nothing for my health and not much for my career advancement either Um, But, um, the reason why we still do it is because um, we believe in the public value of research and the notion that the home of research is in the world, Um, that research is too important to be trapped in in an article or in a book, and that critique is only the first crucial step of the research process because of course you need to have something to bring, to uh, engage the public or or sectors, uh, policy sectors with. Um, But uh, the the commitment to this kind of work comes from the notion that facilitation of that collaborative process um, that comes after the uh, moment of critique is part and parcel of being a researcher. It's not an add-on, it's just a core part of the job. Um, And I think that while some aspects of the impact agenda are questionable, the aspiration that research should be um, active in the world, should make a difference, however small that difference might be, um, is not uh, questionable. Of course, the reality is also that once you've put your research out into the world, you've facilitated the, um, the uh, process by which people um, come across it and might you know, understand it and appreciate it, what people then do with that knowledge is kind of out of your hand. Um, and it becomes about individual responsibilities. So you know, I do hope. That after two years of talking to them um, in you know individually informal events that the art sector does take uh, up the point that we've made about how uh, you know um, creative professionals um, working in our national cultural institutions are too um, ethnically non-diverse too um, socially non-diverse that you know you can hope that they do something with it but you can't make them which is where I think the problem with the impact agenda is, that we are sort of charged with the responsibility of making the change happen, as if we could yeah. force that. Um, and I think that ultimately, the, the, the thought I'll leave you with, is that ultimately, what the mass, you know, biggest learning from these two years, is ultimately the key to um, successful um, impact and public engagement. And I know that these might sound Um, you know, um, a bit um, controversial, is mastering the art of what what I call acceptable compromise. Um, Accepting that when you are involved in collaboration with other people who might be from the university world or indeed even more so from outside the university, you're not leading the agenda, you're working with them um, and the final product, whether it's an event, a report, whatever it is, won't be um, the kind of um, pure reflection of your thought, thinking and values, as our academic writing is. Um, but at the same time, its value lies precisely in being beyond the individual, but being the expression of a view that's been negotiated. Um, and you know, believe me, there no were negotiations on that report. It's not a very long report, but there were complex negotiations of, on individual words. Um, and uh, And so the value is in the fact that it's a joint effort. Um, And so for me, I think um, the, the key learning is learning at what point that compromise feels like you're losing integrity. And being able to be firm about not crossing that line, but learning to be comfortable with leaving near that line. And also leaving with the fact that some of your colleagues, your even cry school leagues will understand why you are living in that danger area which is that line rather than being in the library where it's safe and comfortable um, and you know you get the books and you get the promotion so um, I think with this with this um, thought I leave you um, so there is life after impact um, and engagement but it's a lot of work so thank you very much <laughs> well, that's <right. laughs> my I was check very- that, that was the match.